Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard Shout it, shout it, shout it out loud. It's episode number 64 of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, the world's most jolly Eric Roberts related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly and joining me as usual is the Pope of Chilitown, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm pretty great, Doug. How are you doing? Liam, is it your favorite time of the year? No, I don't generally enjoy Christmas that much. Now, you mean the holiday season, of course. Now, the holiday season, Liam, why is it that you don't enjoy it very much? Well, I think there's a lot of ramp up and there's a lot of excitement and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of anticipation and it doesn't usually pay off for much. So um, when I was a kid, it was just like all this excitement and then I would just burn out. I I would just become like manic and freak out. And now as an adult, it's just I can't afford to buy people what I want to buy them. So I'm always compromising. Do you feel maybe this year more than most? a greater connection to this time of year because you now have a young daughter. Now, she's probably too young to understand all of the hubbubaloo around around the holiday season. But are you looking forward to kind of showing her uh, a Christmas like you had when you were a child? Uh, well, hopefully better than, when I, than what I had when I was a child because I didn't really love Christmas when I was a kid. And I'd love for her to love Christmas. But I have the issue with Santa Claus – because uh, yeah. I don't really want to – I don't want to buy into that. I want to I be Santa-free. But when you're Santa-free, you kind of screw Santa up for all the other parents. Right. So I, I, I don't know how to negotiate not introducing uh, a weird thing I don't like without ruining the lie for all the other parents. Quick question for you, Liam. Sure. How does it feel to be a sad old bastard? <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, I will 100% own that my view of um, this – you know, and again, you're right. It's the holiday season. I shouldn't just focus on Christmas. But my wife is a pastor, and so we have Christmas time. And my view of Christmas is like uh, less the uh, joyous explosion that the culture wants and more like winter is death. And yet we hold this one little candle of hope and say, maybe we won't die. That's all I need from Christmas is just that. Well, with that uh, incredibly optimistic view <laughs> of what's going on, Liam, I need you to say something else so I can tell you to shut the fuck up. Oh, well, the other thing all I right. wanted to let Liam, 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 shut the fuck up. Jesus. Our guest today is a writer, producer, podcaster, and actor. He's the co-host of the popular 80s All Over podcast. You can find him on Twitter at Scott E. Weinberg. It's Scott Weinberg. How are you doing today, Scott? Hello, gents. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be on this fine fucking podcast. Scott was in attendance for our live podcast with Eric Roberts, and he was at the Cinepocalypse event, and he was nice enough to reach out and at least suggest that he would appear uh, willingly on the uh, Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man podcast, and we appreciate that very much. Scott, what is your history with the man himself, Eric Roberts? Oh, I love the guy. Uh, I, I know, as you know, I run a podcast with Drew McWeeny called 80s All Over. And uh, that is when I came of age as far as a movie nerd. And uh, to me, Eric Roberts uh, throughout the 80s was one of the most unpredictable, colorful, but yet also uh, uh, legitimately interesting actors. Uh, uh, and, you know, he passed the 80s. His career has had its ups and downs. But 
I've always looked at the guy kind of like um, like a Nicolas Cage type, which mm-hmm. is that he's going to give you his all, even if your movie is terrible. Uh, sometimes he goes over the top, but I'd rather have an actor who goes over the top than somebody who just does very little. Right. And again, it's one of the interesting things about doing this podcast is that we see him in so many small appearances where he is doing something interesting, hopefully, that it tends to make a lot of those viewings of otherwise and eh, maybe maybe not entirely uh, engaging movies a little bit more worthwhile. Do you have a favorite Eric Roberts role, Scott? Uh, well, again, not not to stick too obviously to the uh, to the theme of my my chosen uh, <laughs> love, but. My, my first thought is Runaway Train. I think he's fantastic in that. I mm-hmm. love him. It's obvious, but I love him in Pope of Greenwich Village. Um, Star 80. Uh, I don't think it's a great film, but I think he's electric in it. Uh, uh, you know, most of his classic stuff. Uh, and, and again, you know, when you're watching a, like a Batman movie and like five or six different character actors pop up and they have eight lines apiece, I'm fine if one of those character actors is Eric Roberts. That pleases me. I like that. <laughs> Now, branching out from the Eric Roberts topic a little bit, Scott, you watch a lot of movies. That's part yeah. of your deal. You're a movie well, I guy. Also, wait, I did want to, before we get off topic, I, I, sure. I have a note here. I wanted to cover Cinepocalypse just a bit more. Because oh, yeah. I want, to, I want to tell your listeners, I have never seen people, you you guys were acting like you had just gotten entry into Willy Wonka's costume. <laughs> it was, and I mean that in the best possible way. You would have been like, if I had got to meet Steve Martin. That, that's what you you guys were like, you know, you were you were a little bit geeky, but you were also playing it cool. You were, you know, chilling with the guy, but you were also I could tell you were geeking out on the inside. You went out to dinner with the man and you came back like, I can't believe we just had dinner with Eric. <laughs> and before he left, I am very pleased to say that I, I got him invited up to a, a private office and I uh, had a little partaking uh, uh, with with Eric Roberts. And that has that will be something that I will remember for the rest of my life. And I have you and your podcast and Josh at Sin Apocalypse to thank for that. Well, I'm I'll so take... glad. I'm so glad that, that we could be a part of that experience for you. I, I don't know if Liam is being sincere or not. Uh, I can't usually I am, tell. No. But... What? what do you mean? Of course I'm being sincere. What do you mean? What do I mean? Liam, you, you're too cool for school for so many things. I thought that maybe you were just being <laughs> I, above I, it all, I as is your way. sincerity in his voice, but he also does – you are known for being uh, subtly sardonic, Liam. Yeah. I No, I, I – <laughs> besides the fact that I love our guest, Mr. Weinberg, and I love uh, his podcast, and I, just hanging out with him has always been a joy. I also love – connecting people with Eric Roberts that like I mean granted Josh is, <laughs> is that what we do now Liam <laughs> well, no, in the sense that like in the sense that like yes Josh was more of the effort like without Cinepocalypse we were never going to get to talk to Eric Roberts let's just right, own but it, that you know, but we still had the idea to do this podcast and that means it something. goes in a cycle you know it's like Josh invited you guys and that you know I worked with Josh and that's how I got to meet Eric Roberts it's like you know the circle of geek life beautiful yeah it was it, and, and it, he I think... was the he was an absolute treat. I'm not biased like you guys are madly in love with the guy. I'm a film guy. I, I can be objective. And if the guy was uh, snooty or, or off-putting or – nope. He was gracious and warm and friendly to everybody from you know the head of the theater on down to the, some geek with a bunch of posters for him to sign. <laughs> he was a class act. He really was. It was uh, on the most recent episode where we basically just sort of did a mop up on the whole experience. I actually mentioned talking to you, Scott, because we had a, just a brief discussion. Uh, really, it was it was after the event itself happened, and you mentioned during it, it's like you know he could have been snooty, he could have been 
he could have been like not a even like a. Times, you guys go to film. You guys have been to film festivals. You know how it goes. A lot of times, or not even a lot of times, but sometimes the sure. celebrities, meaning the actors or the directors, uh, they do the minimum to to see to suit the situation. Like uh, they were asked to come to introduce the film, to do a Q and A, and to be on a quick interview. And that's what they do, the bare minimum. And then there mm-hmm. were people like Eric Roberts who was legitimately enjoying meeting his fans. He had a, he was having a blast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? It was one of those things where it so many things could have gone wrong for us in regards to uh, the setup and the structure and all of that. But Eric Roberts was one of those things that we sort of had faith that he would be cool and that he would have a lot of anecdotes. And he really came through. And honestly, uh, I will reinforce uh, Liam's sincerity and say that it was very cool that that you managed to have a little moment with him afterwards. And it sounded like it was a positive one. Yeah. And again, you know, thank you to everybody at the Music Box Theater and Apocalypse. Mm. If you are in the Chicago area next year, they'll be doing it again. And I am more than happy to give them a plug because uh, I think they put on a really good show and you guys were a big part of it. So thank you. Yeah, and, and honestly, I, 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 I don't think uh, we're going to be making a return appearance to interview Eric Roberts once again, but I definitely want to get down to Chicago again next year just to just to really experience it, it top to bottom. Uh, well, yeah, and, and now you guys are like, if you come next year, like year two and three, that's it. You're locked in for the whole, you know, for life. You're like, that's you know, it. We, we we come back next year as the conquering heroes, isn't that right, Liam? I mean, <laughs> I've, right? I've already, right, I've already tried to figure out how we do another live Eric Roberts thing. You can't do it; won't be as as impressive as having Eric Roberts, though. Who cares? Who gives a shit? Look, no, I'm just going to be there to to spend some time with some really great, wonderful people like Scott and like yourself, Liam, and sure. to see some wonderful movies uh, and have you know be part of a wonderful, respectable event. Don't you think, Liam? That is all very great. I also like attention, so I'd like to perform somehow. But also add, you know, not to be, you know, let's be honest. When you're at an event like that and you get Eric Roberts involved, it adds a real, like, legitimacy. Uh, yep. it's, like yeah. getting, it's like getting reviewed in Podmas. That, that's like a little check mark next to any podcast, and that's a great thing. And, Absolutely. You know, I was elated when Josh had me on the phone two months ago, three months ago, and said, not only are we going to have Liam and Doug there, but... Eric Roberts is going to be on their epic show. And I went, holy shit, they're going to go insane. And yep, it was a blast. So uh, I'm glad you guys got some good episodes out of it. And who knows, in the future, maybe you do uh, 25, 30 more episodes and do it to have them on for a sequel. Sure, absolutely. It's something we've certainly discussed. Scott, what I was going to ask you before we moved on to uh, to that anecdote was, what do you think of the year 2017 as a whole in regards to the quality of films that you've seen? Oh, it's been a, I think it's been a very good year. And, and uh, like many film writers, I've been inundated uh, in a good way with screeners over the last you know, three or four weeks. So not aside from maybe like Last Jedi and Hugh Jackman goes to the circus. I think I've seen just about everything. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I've just been really impressed with the stuff I've seen in the last several weeks. I mean, I, Tanya is fantastic. Three Billboards is great. The Shape of Water, probably my favorite movie of the year. Uh, uh, the Post is really good. Um, mm. I mean, these, yeah, these are just off the top of my head. Oh, Molly's Game is really good. Uh, uh, I watched a, a film called Selma, which is right. a really interesting thriller from, I believe, Norway or Denmark. Off the top of my head, I forget. Um, lots of good stuff this year. You know, it, for me, it's so difficult to. You know, maybe 10 years later, you can compartmentalize films in a year, you know, but when you say what's the best of the year, 
I, I think back like three months. I mean, right. Uh, but my sec- my uh, Shape of Water is probably my favorite film of the year. My second favorite would be Okja from Netflix is, uh, mm-hmm. from Bong Joon-ho. And then like I probably have ten or fifteen films tied for third, like Wonder Woman or uh, you know uh, Get Out uh, or Ragnarok, which was fucking delightful. Uh, <laughs> I like it all, man. I like most movie geeks. I, I like it. I like everything from you know tiny little imports to I'll watch the I'll see Thor Ragnarok three more times probably <laughs> Liam uh, have, I know that you don't have a lot of, of opportunities to go out to the cinema because you have a young child at home and you're a very busy man as well but uh, what have you thought of the year I mean we are getting close to the end of the year this is you know s- sort of a, a two-part uh, holiday r- r- retrospective that we're doing over this episode and the next one what did you think of the year as a whole I get the feeling it's probably been a pretty good year and that <laughs> I've missed a lot of it. I will mm-hmm. say, um, thanks to an event we've already <laughs> basically propped up on three episodes now, uh, Apocalypse, I got to see some – part of my favorite thing of the year is not going to the multiplex to see, like, the big thing. I like getting to a smaller festival and seeing some smaller stuff that people sure. – that's, like, part of my diet, you know, and, and I, it's really important to me to try to have both as much as possible. And Apocalypse was my only opportunity this year to see anything that wasn't bigger, even, like – you know, I'm not that far from New York. I'm not that far from Philly. Mm-hmm. But with a baby, it's hard to drive an hour and a half for a movie or even a couple movies. Like it's just it's just hard to make that happen. So without an apocalypse, I probably would have only seen bigger films. Which again, I like those movies, but um, I really wanted some smaller films in my diet. So I think like a film like Low Life is probably going to be in my top ten of the year. And and that's not. And I feel like. Again, my top ten is just my favorites. I'm not trying to say like I'm some arbiter Certainly. of what's the well, best. Well, yeah, I think that's the best way to do it because, yeah. you know, I don't think any film critic or any film critic I'm interested in anyway uh, is trying to make like a list of best, like, quote, right. unquote, objective or empirically the mm-hmm. best films. I, that's bullshit. I don't care about what you think the best made film is. I want to know what ten films you love are going to watch again really want me to watch. Like, that's but what I, I want to hear. But I do care about other people's lists, and it's it's this year I feel like – and again, I'm kind of surprised people already have so many lists done. But, <laughs> yeah, right. but the lists I've read, there's so many movies on them. Usually when the, a list has movies on it that I haven't had a chance to see, they're often movies I don't know. But looking at lists, I'm, being, I'm realizing how many movies I even knew were out but I didn't have time to see such that I'm like seriously considering taking time off from work. <laughs> just so I can stay home and watch the movies. Because a lot of the movies I want to see, I can watch at home now. It's They're not just in sure. theaters. Uh, and then maybe I can get out. I mean, there's obviously I want to see Three Billboards, and I want to see um, uh, The Disaster Artist, and some oh, other things that, that are actually... Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. I, I, I Of course, I left off a handful, and I am good at interrupting. I apologize in advance. No, please, <laughs> go, do it, do it. Disaster Artist is quite good, and I am not a big fan of the whole room phenomenon, frankly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so take that from like a kind of a skeptical or a stick in the mud as far as the room is concerned. But the Disaster Artist is a really uh, insightful and funny look at not not just the madness that made this movie, but also just the the ridiculous difficulty of making any indie film. Uh, you know, uh, on that topic, and going back to what you were saying earlier, Scott. Uh, 
I find, especially because I used to write about uh, micro-budget cinema for years and years and do a lot of interviews with micro-budget filmmakers, that when I find a small indie or a uh, movie made on a bit of a smaller budget that I'm really passionate about, I feel like I can't shut up about it because I just want everyone to right. see it. It's, it's that little, it's not just the everybody wants to root for an underdog, but there's also that innately selfish, like, this one is the one I planted my flag. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as everybody remembers you're not the only person to plant that flag. That's you know, exactly I, it. I feel a very, very close protective nature to Lucky McKee's May because I helped mm. quote unquote discover it. But I'm far from the only person who did that. <laughs> Uh, and you're absolutely right. And again, it's, it, these are these movies where eventually they're going to belong to the world. And I just want to say, you know, I don't want to put my stamp on it to say I was there first. I want everyone to enjoy it as much as I enjoy it. And speaking, right. and, I, and there's also mm -hmm. that like, there's also that selfish thing of Doug was right. Yeah. I fucking <laughs> love, and like, and that's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. You know, like that's part of the nature of you know how social media and how psychology works. Is hey, those guys recommended a really good film. And now I trust them even more. You know, like that that's part of the whole nature of film writing, film blogging, film criticism. <laughs> or or this Eric Roberts movie was terrible. What the fuck were Doug and Liam thinking? Uh, but yeah. since we were talking about our, some of our favorite movies of the year, I just want to quickly mention Macon Blair's I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, which is and one of my you. favorites. Yes, of the year. yes. Thank you for mentioning that. And also a very good small film. I will just say the title. You guys out there, look it up. Super Dark Times. Yes, 100%. Yeah, I was just looking. I was actually just looking, Scott, at your list of twenty-five horror movies, uh, great horror movies from this year, and saw that on it, and it made me immediately want to check it out, which we'll do, but we can't do it right now because right now we need to talk about the latest Eric Roberts news on the Roberts Report. It's the Roberts Report for episode number 64 of Eric Roberts' is The Fucking Man. And as per usual, we start with a deep dive on the man himself's Twitter. You can follow Eric Roberts on Twitter at Eric Roberts, all one word. Now, as we mentioned on the previous episode, Eric was recently, and I think still is, uh, in Barbados filming a wonderfully bizarre spy movie starring and financed by the Lord of the Dance himself, Michael Flatley. Uh, and if you want to keep up on Eric's uh, exploits, do a search for Eric Roberts on YouTube. Uh, it appears that Eliza Roberts is regularly posting videos of Barbados and their various adventures. But on the uh, December 4th on the Twitter feed, Eric Roberts wrote, and this is in regards to... Uh, <laughs> uh, this is in regards to a comment about Eric having a striking resemblance to uh, Jonathan Rice Myers. And he uh, mentioned, you are far from alone... This is Eric Roberts now. Originally, I was cast in Velvet Goldmine to play an older version of Jonathan Rice Myers. Broke my heart that I was unavailable. Starting with you, Liam, are you a fan of the film Velvet Goldmine? I've actually never seen it, and I've been told I really need to. Do you like the uh, 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 the seventies glam rock, Liam? No, but I think I'm still interested in it as like a story, even if musically it's not up my alley. Is it Jonathan Reese Myers? Should I be saying Reese instead of Rice? I actually have no idea, and I've wondered that for a while. Well, I know someone who'll know. Scott Weinberg, what do you think of the movie Velvet Goldmine? I believe it's Reese, as in Jonathan Reese Davies, but mm. no. Uh, I think Velvet Goldmine is pretty great. Uh, it's an early film from Todd Haynes, and it came up in conversation the other day because uh, somebody on Twitter, we were discussing the whole Brian Singer uh, sure. leaving the, the, the uh, Freddie Mercury biopic. 
and I proposed that the retired Alan Parker would be a great substitute director. Oh. Uh, and then somebody else said, why not Todd Haynes? And I went, oh, that's great. That would be a very good choice. Uh, but they chose, and it is actor-turned-director Dexter Fletcher who will yes. be replacing. Uh, Just announced uh, a little while ago. That's right. Uh, uh, that's why people tune into this show for the latest in movie news. It'll only be four or five days old by the time this comes out. Right. Dexter Fletcher, who I st- I haven't seen his his directorial work. I know him best as an actor. He is a fantastic character actor. I have not seen his. He's made two features, and I've not seen. Them. But what do you think, uh, Scott, about Eric Roberts potentially having been in Velvet Goldmine? We were robbed of that opportunity. Well, I mean, Jonathan Reese Myers, that's one of his best performances. And mm-hmm. McGregor, uh, who would Eric Roberts replace in that film? Well, Izzard? it says he was going to play an older version of Jonathan Reese Myers. Oh, 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 uh, yeah, I could see that. Sure. Sure. Why not? Why not? Now, you're, you, Scott, are a cat lover. I am. You love cats. And there's only one person I know who loves cats more than you. And that is the actor, Eric Roberts. He has a number of them. Do you remember any of their names, Liam? Oh, uh, wasn't one of them named Brooklyn? I think there might be a no. Brooklyn. <laughs> that, that was the one that was that was missing. Brooklyn was missing. He climbed under their house to find them. See, you can tell Scott's a fan. He listened to the episode, the My Cat from Hell episode, where we discovered that they have cats named Stevie the and Wonder. Wonder. Yep. Uh, and they have a blind cat that is not either of those cats. I remember that very well for some fucking reason. Do you remember any other names, Liam? No. Brooklyn, Stevie, Wonder. I don't know. I, what right. is the blind cat's name? It was something surprising, and I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I don't know. It's like something like Sighty. Sighty, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 2020. So Eric Roberts, uh, while in Barbados, he's had a little bit of an adventure, Liam and Scott, where uh, Eliza himself have discovered a cat. A cat came uh, next to where they were staying and was uh, regularly visiting them, and they have adopted... The cat. And in fact, back on December 2nd, uh, they wondered whether they should name the cat Barbie for Barbados or Rihanna. And then on December 4th, they have apparently decided to go with Barbie Riri Barbados Kitty as the name of this cat. <laughs> Let me tell you something. All right. I, I, it bugs me so much. Like, okay, I, I, I like marijuana, but I hate the weed stereotypes. I, uh-huh. I hate the munchies and I'm dumb and, you know, I hallucinate. And I love cats and I hate the, the weirdo cat. So whenever I see a TV show where, like, Cat Lover uh, has named, has, uh, has, has left her cat $10,000 to Kitty Kitty Mew Mew. <laughs> I was like, cats are cats, man. They're not people. Love them for what they are. Stop anthropomorphizing cats. It's freaky. I think that's uh, sober thoughts from one Mr. Scott Weinberg. I am not so scared. (laughs) On December 5th, Eric Roberts followed up his cat story by saying that they met some incredible people on the shoot in Barbados and one family very much wanted a playmate for their kitten, Barbie's age. So apparently, Riri, Barbie, whatever, is going to go to this family. It's a holiday miracle, Liam. Barbie, Riri has a new home. How do you feel about that, Liam? I don't actually believe you could just pick a random stray cat mm-hmm. in Barbados and sure. bring it back to America with you. I'm almost 100% sure that was never going to work out for them. Yeah, somebody must have said, listen, Mr. Roberts, here's how it works. If you want to adopt this cat, 
is going to be in quarantine in New York State for six months, and it's going to cost you nine grand. Anyway, what? <laughs> no. Give it to that girl over there. <laughs> but I've already tweeted about it ten times. i got to yeah. do something about I'm it now. I'm not making fun. I love that him and his wife love cats. I, I, I do not agree that all cats should be outdoor cats, but I, I love that him and his wife are so cat friends. That's yeah, I, I, I think I, uh, I echo those thoughts uh, completely. Now, for those who were listening to our Cinepocalypse episodes, you might recall that uh, one of the reasons that Eric was down in Chicago was because he was uh, helping to do a Q&A for the Larry Cohen movie from 1990, The Ambulance. And it was announced, uh, in fact, I believe it was just yesterday, that Scream Factory is bringing The Ambulance to a Blu-ray. So for those who've always wanted to check out uh, what is, I believe, a very underrated Eric Roberts and Larry Cohen movie, you'll be able to do so with special features yet to be announced. Scott Weinberg, what do you think of The Ambulance? I think it's a lot of fun. I am a huge Larry Cohen fan. Uh, the documentary King Cohen was mm. a delight, uh, you know, um, off the top of my head. But it's alive, cue the stuff. Uh, um, Hell Up in Harlem uh, sure. Larry Cohen is the best kind of like the Robert Wise of V movies because he covered every genre and he did them all pretty well and uh, he also did some A-list screenwriting and mm -hmm. uh, he's a fascinating guy and uh, I think The Ambulance is not one of my favorite Larry Cohen films but it's a right. very interesting and fun one you know, famously, uh, Liam O'Donnell, the co-host of Eric Roberts the Fucking Man, has never seen The Ambulance, isn't that correct, Liam? I mean, I wouldn't say it's famously, and uh, and I was really annoyed to miss it on fucking 35 millimeter. But yeah, I've never seen it. Liam, you like superhero movies, right? Yeah, they're all right. Well, good because you must be excited about Surge of Power: Revenge of the Sequel. Yeah, I'm I got very a press excited. email. I got a marketing email about this. What is mm. this? It's this oddly. is this is a star-studded. Uh, uh, Okay, so this is a, I believe, a gay horror movie. Uh, sorry, not a gay horror movie, a gay superhero movie. Right, um, I think the poster said uh, the first openly gay superhero. Yes, so it has an openly gay superhero. I think it's played for laughs to some extent, but hopefully not offensive ones. It does have a very interesting cast, a very cult-friendly ca cast, including uh, Star Trek uh, alums Nichelle Nichols and Robert Picardo. Bruce Falanche is, is in here. <laughs> Linda Blair is in there. Jill Gerard is in there. And, of course, the, uh, the original Buck Incredible Hulk. Buck Rogers himself? Buck Rogers himself as well as the Incredible Hulk, Lou Ferrigno, uh, as well as Academy Award nominee, Eric Roberts. This thing uh, so, was shot, I guarantee you, this thing was shot in the back hallway of a horror con. Uh, keep your eyes out for Surge of Power, Revenge of the Sequel, hitting theaters in January 2018. Don't know if it'll end up in the theaters around where I live, but maybe if you're in a major metropolitan area. Uh, speaking, we do of Robert, speaking of Robert Picardo, Let's sure. throw in a let's throw in a plug for Inner Space. Liam, Inner Space? Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I'll echo that. I love Inner Space. Good. I love Martin Short. I do. I'm a big Martin Short guy. I, I know mean, a lot I, of people I, are not fans. You, uh, Joe Dante is one of my favorite directors. And when I mention him on Twitter, inevitably the cult favorite, the fan favorite, everybody's favorite is The Burbs. And I love that one of his lesser performing films has become a cult favorite. However, every time someone says The Burbs, I'm like, Inner space is better than the verbs. I'm sorry, it is. Oh, controversial statements here on this episode I, of Eric Roberts. I got nothing to man. do with nothing whatsoever to do with Eric Roberts. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> well, it has, it has to do with me because uh, Joe Dante graduated college with my mom. Oh, nice. really? 
Yeah. What was what did want... she say? What did she say about him? What was he like back in uh, college? They had mutual friends, mm-hmm. but she didn't really know him. All she knew about him was that he didn't go to class a lot. And it's sure. really funny because um, she never mentioned it. I was listening to a podcast interview between him and Leonard Malton, and he mentioned the year he graduated from the Philadelphia College of Art. Sure. And he mentioned that he was never in class because he went to a lot of movies instead of going to class. And I said, Mom, didn't you graduate from the Philadelphia College of Art that year? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, why? And I'm like, so you know Joe Dante? And, he, and she was like, oh, right. He's like a director or something, right? Oh, Bob, I hate you. (laughs) Uh, I wish I had a a, a colorful – I got to meet the man once at a horror convention. He was doing uh, some kind of a a presentation uh, in front of like a crowd of probably 100 people, and I was backstage with some friends just passing through. Uh, I was was there with Adam Green and Joe Lynch to drop some more horror geek names, (laughs) And, and as we were walking by, he was just waiting probably 15, 20 minutes before the show, and I thought, to go and talk to this man for five minutes because if I don't, it'll haunt me for the rest of my life. So while he was just backstage waiting to go on on a, a some kind of a presentation about Jasons or something like that, um, and I just shot the shit with him uh, for about fifteen minutes, and we mostly talked about restaurants in Philadelphia. <laughs> oh, my favorite topic, Le- yeah, Liam. But if you, yeah, I absolutely adore Joe Dante. Uh, I, I love, love, love his work, and uh, any chance I get to, to tie. I don't know. Can we tie any Eric Roberts to, to Joe Dante? I'm, I'm sure we can. We'll have. We'll We'll come back to it, Liam. Yeah, I do yeah, have yeah. a very important question to ask you. Yes. Okay. Now I need you not to freak out about this. <laughs> oh God! All right. <laughs> so your mom, right? Yeah. She yeah. went to college with Joe Dante. Yeah. Mutual friends. Yeah. What are the odds? <laughs> that your mom banged Joe Dante. <laughs> uh, my mom is not a. Uh, she would have told me if they had dated. That would have been something she would have put out there first thing. So okay, and I just need one more question from you, Liam. Oh God. Okay. Okay. So, what year did your mother graduate from this college? Oh, I don't. I don't remember. Whatever. No. Okay. Okay. Different question. What year were you born? <laughs> Come on, man! You could be Joe Dante's son. Everyone, you could be heir to the Joe Dante fortune. My my mom, was, <laughs> my mom was very was far out of college when she had me. Far oh, okay. out of college. Wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Liam, have you seen these photos of Eric Roberts wearing a speedo? No. Well, if you go to the Daily Mail, uh, which is one of my daily uh, uh, places to to look on the internet, there's an article that says Julia Roberts' brother Eric, 61, sports swimsuit on Barbadian beach on break from Michael Flatley's spy thriller. Uh, I had a number of people send this to me. <laughs> All it is is a series of photos of Eric Roberts on the beach, just trying to relax, and he's wearing a speedo. Liam, Can't I th- just leave people in dating suits alone. I mean, is Men it and women? Just leave them alone. How, this it's so fucked up to think that he can't even relax on a beach. He's Eric Roberts. Just let the guy wear a speedo what without taking photos. What do you think photos. a sixty-one-year-old man in a speedo is going to look like? That's yeah. what it's going to look like. There's nothing wrong with it. Leave him be. Leave the women alone. Leave them. Ugh. No, two percent of the world looks great in a bathing suit. Two. It, the the article itself is also like kind of condescending. How do you mean, Liam? Well, 
you know, they bring up the brother, Julia's brother thing a couple of times, which is not sure. my favorite. Then, you know, they want <laughs> you to know his age. And then this last line, you know, the Mississippi-born Silver Fox might be in his 60s, but his film career has remained prodigious with an eye-popping 481 IMDb acting credits. Like, as if, uh, you know, he's he's an old, decrepit man, but don't worry, he's still, you know, doing things. Like, it's just very weird to even – I don't know. The, I, I find the whole it, thing uh, is Larry, strange. I, I find it uh, ironic and sad when people who are just paid to write about celebrities mm-hmm. – uh, you know that like it's their bread and butter is to shit on them. Right. Uh, I, I look at somebody like Eric Roberts or any of these aging uh, over sixty actors like your Nicolas Cage's and all these guys who bang out a lot of uh, VOD movies is what we sure. call them or direct mm-hmm. VOD. Who cares if you were a plumber and you're getting up in age and you know you're going to be retiring in the next ten years? Maybe you're going to work your ass off. Like every why wouldn't you want to work your ass off and save some right. money? Right. Let them work. If you don't want to watch them, don't. But I, I never, you know, it's it's not an actor's fault that Hollywood has very little uh, 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 opportunities for actors over, especially you know, female, but actors of a certain age. Uh, so when you know actors who were previously a list are now working on goofy B, C, and D level movies, it's like why would you mock them? They're the people who right. were they're the people who were wrong. They're the people who are like left behind. But now we need to talk about what we usually talk about on the Roberts Report. We usually, at this point in the episode, talk about something recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts Internet Movie Database filmography. But the the fact is, when you do 64 episodes of an Eric Roberts-related podcast, you sort of get ahead of things. So to change things up a little bit, we're going to look back at perhaps an underloved or underrecognized Eric Roberts project that we have yet to cover on Eric Roberts' is The Fucking Man. And this week, we're going to talk about 2009's Pinkville, the only directorial effort by Stephen uh, Garbus. And the uh, unique-sounding plot summary is an ex-history professor outruns a gambling debt while stalking a war criminal, starring Ryan Kessler, Janelle Velasquez, uh, or Velasquez, I should say, Terry Novak, and Eric Roberts as the colorfully named Johnny Pies. You can watch Pinkville legally and for free on YouTube. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can all check it out. An ex-history professor outruns a gambling debt while stalking a war criminal. How does that sound to you, Scott Weinberg? That sounds like an interesting premise. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what now you're like plant seeds so that people will watch it and you'll cover it on an upcoming episode kind of thing. I mean, it would be nice. I feel sometimes because uh, now that we've gotten past a lot of the more well-known Eric Roberts movies and we're getting into more obscure territory, it can be difficult, I think, people for people to latch on to the conversation because these are movies that they might not ever have seen and might actually not have the potential to see. So if there's something that's available for them to check out, I always want to alert them to it. Liam, are you interested in Pinkville? Yeah, it's interesting, and it doesn't... Um... It doesn't seem like something that's very obvious, which uh, I, my anxiety about future Eric Roberts episodes or future projects we'll be covering on, on episodes is that they would be predictable. Like I'm ready right. for – even if I think something is particularly bad, as long as it's interesting or I didn't expect it, that would be cool. What, what, what I'm not excited about is something that's boring. You know what could be a fun episode for you guys is to just – go by the stuff that he's done that's not out yet and you'll pick like your top three that you can't wait to see for example i'm looking at one right here starring laura harring and eric roberts called taco shop 
Yes. We've discussed Taco Shop in the past. And, of course, Fatty's Bring Down the House is on that list. Uh, Homie Alone is a huge one. We uh, we are very excited to check out ooh, Homie ooh, Alone. What, what's this one? Monsters of Mulberry Street. Uh-huh. Ooh, I like the title. With Leo yep. Roncato from Is that the guy in the in Titanic, that guy? I think he might be. A lot of interesting projects uh, coming up for Eric Roberts. Uh, I think that's actually a pretty great idea, Scott, to come up maybe with the top three that we're excited about. Maybe then we could uh, we could uh, prioritize getting them on the episode. This is our holiday special, or one of our holiday special episodes, uh, Liam and Scott. And because of that, we have picked a holiday-themed film to discuss. We're going to be talking about 2002's Breakaway, which was originally titled Christmas... Rush, a uh, much for, better title. Much a made. I think it's a better title too, especially more uh, the- thematically appropriate title for this episode. But Dude, this I, was a. I like the title Christmas Rush. I'm going to reuse it. How's that? I'm going to yeah. write a better Die Hard knockoff and call it Christmas Rush. Like <laughs> your stupid forgotten CBS movie that's impossible to find. Breakaway. Call it Breakaway. It means nothing. Breakaway is a very, very generic title. This was a made-for-TBS television movie, as you mentioned, Scott. Now, uh, before we get into our discussion, we should take our first break. We've been going on for a little while now. When we return, Scott Weinberg and Liam O'Donnell and myself are going to discuss 2002's Christmas Rush. Join us after this. In the season of giving, the department took his badge. Criminals took his wife. Now one cop is taking matters into his own hands. It's 2002's Christmas Rush, a.k.a. Breakaway, directed by Charles Robert Carner, who you might know as the writer of the uh, the wonderful action film Blind Fury with Rucker Hauer, as well as the classic Jim Cotta. And he was also the director of the absolutely terrible 1997 remake of Vanishing Point, a made-for-TV remake starring Viggo Mortensen and Jason Priestley. Uh, I remember seeing that when it first aired, and I was, I, I think I was at uh, maybe like, probably around 17 or 18 at the time, and I really liked the original Vanishing Point, and I was like, this sounds like it would be fun, and it was not. He also, Liam, was the director of Witless Protection, which we featured on an earlier episode of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, because it has both Larry the Cable Guy and Eric Roberts. But yeah. this, this film stars Dean Kane in uh, the John McClane role uh, of, uh, of sort of a diehard-inspired film, except instead of taking place in a, a skyscraper, it takes place in a shopping mall in Chicago, Illinois, which we were uh, visited just recently. Uh, starting with our guest, Scott Weinberg. Scott, what did you think of 2002's Christmas Rush? Well, guys, uh, mm-hmm. as as a, uh, a student of the uh, subgenre, lovingly known as 
die hard knockoffs or die hard ripoffs as you mm-hmm. uh I'm just running through a couple of articles right here just to jog my memory, but having seen all of these films, um how about I'll name the premise. You you guys, one of you guys, we'll see who can get the title first. Oh, okay? this is great. Okay, this is exciting. Die hard in a boarding school, all male. Die hard in a is that the one with Patrick Stewart mind? No, that one's that one. Oh, yeah, but that one has little kids in it. Liam, do you have a guess here? Nothing. Toy Master Soldiers. Mind? Oh, Toy, Toy Soldiers, Soldiers with Sean Astin. Yeah. Uh, Die Hard on a battleship. That, of course, would be Under Siege. Yes. Uh, Die Hard on an airplane. Uh, we've actually there's actually a few variations on that, but I'm thinking Turbulence or Passenger Fifty Seven. All right, I I will accept both. Uh, passenger fifty seven is the answer I was looking for. Uh, I was gonna, I was gonna say snakes on a plane. Oh, there you come go. on, Liam. Die hard on a mountain. That would be one cliffhanger. Yeah, die hard at a hockey game. Now that would be sudden death with one Mister Jean Claude Van Damme. Um, die hard in a skyscraper. Uh, now there's a few of that, but I with think we're gonna starring Anna Nicole Smith. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And featuring one of the finest uh, blooper reels I think I've ever seen for any film. I believe that's called Skyscraper. You are correct. And and up until now, I, now I think it still is the worst of the diehard knockoffs. Christmas Rushes is not great, but it's not quite this bad. Uh, die Hard on Air Force One. Die Hard at Alcatraz. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Die Hard in Space Prison. Uh, you know, there's... Uh, now there's new ones, which is what Olympus has fallen. Like Die Hard has created its very own subgenre, and it's done in like every setting anywhere. So anyone sure. you guys can think of that I didn't. Mention? Oh yeah, one uh, would be Jim Wynorski's Hard to Die, uh, which takes place. It's it's just vaguely a Die Hard ripoff. Um, there's also what's the one? There's a Jet Li Die Hard ripoff as well. That I can't remember at the moment, and obviously, uh, I, I mean, there's a lot of sort of variations on that theme of a single man against, uh, or a single woman against a gang of terrorists. Even, uh, even our uh, beloved, uh, the replacement could be considered. Actually, not called the replacement. What was it, uh, Liam? The alternate could the be alternate. considered. The replacement is what it should have been called. <laughs> it's oh, what it should oh, oh. have been called. One of the best of the diehard knockoffs, and, and, and anybody who had cable in the 90s will agree with me, is called The Taking of Beverly Hills. Oh, of course. Oh, no, yeah. I, I, and Wall. Yes. Uh, but no, Christmas Rush is a, I mean, if you were to create, if you were to build a computer program that said, construct a diehard template for me, this is, this screenplay is precisely what it would turn out. It is in every conceivable way a, a, Die hard photocopy, um, right down to Dean Kane being, you know, beleaguered, uh, and stressed out. Uh, his wife, the lovely Erica Eleniak, also from Under Siege. Mm-hmm. Um, she is, uh, held hostage in the mall, uh, by the villainous Eric Roberts, who will get into this extensively, but he <laughs> exhibiting the only pulse in the entire film, uh, as the, uh, the leader of a very generic gang of th- thugs who, uh, hatch a plan to steal millions of dollars from a very uh, hoity-toity Chicago mall on Christmas Eve. And it is not a good film. The screenplay <laughs> is uh, very generic, uh, paint-by-numbers, push-button, call it what you will. Uh, and it has a, a weird religious bent that, like, you know, for a little bit I was fine with it. And then after a while I'm like, ugh, enough with the, you know, 
uh, I guess they're trying to inject more Christmassy stuff into a sure. silly, a silly action film. Uh, not a good film, but I, I, I was not bored watching it. Before I move over to Liam, Scott, why do you think that that template, that diehard template, is so popular among people? Uh, well, I guess really anyone trying to make a, a semi-generic action movie. Uh, I mean, it, it's a simple premise. I mean, and in theory, you know, one location indicates a relatively limited budget, I think. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people went, oh, my God, diehard in a convenience store. We could shoot that for a million dollars. And, you know, I think that's it. And obvious more obvious answer is look at the you know the box office numbers of die hard and die hard 2 and it you know doesn't take you know if you're not very imaginative and you say die hard in an airport and then you're at there. <laughs> yeah that's it moving over to you liam uh mm-hmm. we we just mentioned a number of of die hard in a style movies uh, are you a fan, by the way, of the of the original Die Hard? I think that's it's almost a ridiculous question to ask, but you know, Liam, I know you are a contrarian. I'm not that contrarian. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I think if you, I think not liking Die Hard is the sort of thing that people say only to upset other people. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. It's just it's 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 even before I was thinking about movies as being great movies, I was just appreciating them for how I felt. It was one of my favorite movies. And then later rewatching it as an adult who was thinking about movies and realizing, Oh, this is also a great movie. It's not just satisfying. It's also amazingly made and just, uh, everything about it. So yes, I'm a big fan. Uh, but I will be honest. I'm apparently not a huge fan of the diehard derivative films. Cause I've only seen a few of them. You know, by the way, the Jet Li movie I was trying to think of before is called High Risk. It also was released under the very generic title Meltdown. But then again, High Risk is a pretty generic title as well. Uh, that's I a pretty good one. I have not seen that. I'll, I will definitely check that one out. That might be very few that I haven't seen, and I'm down for that. I mean, yeah, that was, the chances sorry. are with a Die Hard ripoff movie, right, that we're talking about a movie that a lot of them came out in the 90s. Mm-hmm. They were of a certain budget level when it comes to action, and they tended to have a certain kind of action star, the Jet Li one being an exception. Sure. And I don't – I didn't watch a lot of those movies. Like that wasn't really – you know, in that time period, I was watching a lot more either horror or martial arts films, and that sort of big – they weren't big, but mid-level action films I didn't really sure. watch, some of which I later revisited or I guess I didn't revisit or discovered later on in life. And some of them I do like now, but mm-hmm. a lot of them I miss them at the time and I don't really have a reason to go back to it. So even a Passenger 57 or Under Siege holds very little appeal for you. I kind of hate Steven Seagal. That's fair. I'll enough. give you that. If you want to – if you want to – Kudos, Under Siege, aside from the lead, I think Under Siege is quite a, a good action film. Sure. Uh, but if you want one that I think is one of the best diehard knockoffs is Peter Hyams' Sudden Death. I think that's a very fun movie. Mm. I'll have yeah, to give yeah, it a try. They... I haven't watched that many of those. I, I did see Passenger 57, but that was like a friends were going to see it. So I went and I, I didn't really like it. Oh, well, right. that's, uh, that's... It's diehard at a hockey game, and uh, they somehow managed to keep it keep the tension relatively tight in that movie. Now we've talked about a number of those movies with a with recognizable leads, with like Steven Seagal or Jean Claude Van Damme or even Jet Li. Here in the film Christmas Rush, we are uh, blessed with one Mr. Dean Cain, uh, of course, uh, a 
probably best known still as Superman or or the uh, host of the Ripley's Believe It or Not TV show. Uh, Dean Cain. Uh, <coughs> sorry, I yes? have a question. Mm-hmm. I believe there is some story or or, or rumor something. Dean Cain is somebody I don't like, and I don't know why. Oh, I I can thank you for saying that, like Scott. Like in a Kirk Cameron vibe. Like I didn't even bother to look it up, but I just had this vibe in the back of my head that he's a shitty guy. <laughs> We try maybe, not. Maybe I'm wrong. We try not to pass. Uh, I, I was going to say we try not to pass judgment here, but actually, that's all we really do on Eric Roberts is a fucking man. Look, but, Dean right, Kane, maybe I'm wrong. Tell me why I have that nagging feeling in the back of my head. He is a uh, conservative and has appeared in a number of faith-based uh, films. Fine. A lot of a lot of cool character actors that I have no problem with people being in faith-based movies. I will. I'm, I'm still their fan if they can absolutely. Star. Nicholas Cage starred in Left Behind, and you will, if you cut me, little little drops of Nicholas Cage will pour out. So. Look, Ray Ray Wise has been in at least a half dozen faith based movies. I, I don't have, a, I don't enjoy faith based movies because I I don't like agenda in my art. Sure. But I don't begrudge people who like them, make them, or star in them. If that's what you want to do, do it. That's fine by me. Dean Cain is also a vocal Donald Trump supporter. Uh, that much. Which, <laughs> which depending on how you fall on the political spectrum might uh might make you not want to watch his movies uh but now that you know that Liam I'm guessing you didn't know it before does that change your opinion at all on Dean Kane the actor Oh I not only was I well aware of it it actually sort of put a bad taste in my mouth when he was in uh Lady Dynamite he plays a very important role on the season 1 of Lady Dynamite and uh, it bummed me out that he he's did, like, even though he's not Scott Bayo level, though, right? I don't think. No, no, no. You know what? I can say quite conclusively because I was reading his Twitter feed today to try to get a bit of a sense of of his politics. Uh, I read a couple of interviews. He considered himself an independent for years and years and years. I think he's more fiscally conservative. I know that he's not against gay marriage. He's played gay characters in movies I, I before. Don't, I you know my father is a Republican, and I know that always sounds like the old standby. But sure. I, I've been around conservatives and Republicans my whole life. I am staunchly liberal. Uh, I have respect for people whose opinions are different than me absolutely i i I have no you know uh, if he's stupid enough to have voted for trump i don't think that makes him an evil guy it just makes him a guy i'm not really interested in chatting with i will say that his continued visible support for donald trump does you know you know what i mean because yeah no no i got you then yeah yeah Yeah. so it's, it's one of those things where it's like look if a few months down the line you were like oh no this guy he's anti-Semite and uh, homophobic. I mean, just all this this stuff. And you're like, well, you know, I guess I just backed the wrong horse on this one because of but my you are, conservative at, at this point, in, in, in mid-December of 2017, right. you are vocally in support of Donald Trump. That's enough that I just don't want to hear from you. That's all. I don't think you have... I'm not judging you. I just don't... I don't need to hear from you. It's a conversation I don't want to have. Sorry, Liam, were you, you said something. You were saying something about uh, Dean Cain and your thoughts on him. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not. Um, Feel like I took been, a, on a tangent. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. He, he has. He has been a vocal supporter of Donald Trump, and I don't appreciate that. Even the tone of it is is well. At this point, I don't know how many supporters of Donald Trump don't have a snarky tone, but his was also particularly snarky. Uh, and you know, um, if if anyone. I, I don't like being talked down to by Scott Baio. I certainly don't like being talked down to by Dean Cain. Like these aren't people who I necessarily think have a lot of insight into the world. Uh, and you know, I, I, 
after this movie, I, I don't know. He was not great in the movie, and it, and uh, <laughs> and his goatee and his goatee made me mad in the movie. His goatee oh, really bummed me out. Don't elaborate on this, please. It was a terrible goatee. Like, first of all, <laughs> it was shaped weird, and then you could see his mustache, but it wasn't as grown in as the rest of the goatee. Uh, like, it's like he just forgot to shave his lip, too. And I'm not a big fan of goatees anyway, but this one was mysteriously wide on his chin. You are a grown man. Learn how to groom your facial hair. Oh, my God, you are so right. I didn't even think to put that in my notes, but you're so I right. I mean, it's it was 2002, and 2002 was a time of poor facial hair decisions so i get that but it's just funny like watching it and he just looks so dumb and again you sort of pointed this out scott when you talked about the movie only eric roberts is alive in this film like everyone else is just sort of doing i want that to be made clear if you guys think that liam and to a much larger degree doug are just eric roberts apologists and they're going to sing his praises or or whatever hey i'm telling you as an as as a as a third party as an outsider fan and observer i'm telling you without question eric roberts is the only signs of life in this movie let me read you a tweet from dean kane from december 2nd Uh, oh god when i'm overseas and i'm overseas a lot i happily engage and explain why i support trump's policies and most of the time folks end up agreeing with me thoughts liam I, first of all, that's never happened. Unless, unless he's like, unless he's very specifically going to white power rallies in Europe. Oh, yeah. I don't actually believe that people he interacts with, or unless those people are just like, oh my god, I met Dean Cain and he's a crazy person. I just agreed to whatever he said. Dude, I guarantee you, the last Dean Cain hasn't had a conversation about politics with a stranger in years. Okay, no, no, he has no interest in what anybody else thinks. He was raised a Republican, and he's got that stick up his ass that he's going to, that's, that's his team, that's my team, and I'm not going to drop my team. And I say screw teams in general, because uh, one is vile and the other is weak. I have a question. Separating Dean Cain uh, from his uh, political or religious beliefs, what do you think of him generally – as an actor, starting with you, Scott, have you have you witnessed him in anything that you thought was particularly impressive? Uh, if I'm wrong, please edit this out. But isn't he in Scott Pilgrim? No, you are. Uh, you're thinking, I think, of Brandon Ruth, uh, who played Superman yeah, in. Mm. I am. No, don't edit it out. I want to, people to know that I'm fallible and unashamed. <laughs> <laughs> um, plus, there you go. I like people to know that I confuse two white guys. Um, but yeah uh, i have seen dean kane in in you know all the politics and bullshit aside if you would say what do you think of him i'd say he's a generic passable tv actor who is sometimes colorful and interesting and sometimes bland and unlikable and in and that's what he is in this he's just very drab and and he thinks he's being like um like han solo cool or even john mcclane cool and he's not. It's just very – he's very stiff and uh, uh, mannered and not convincing. And um, his stuntman deserves a lot more credit uh, <laughs> than he does in this movie. Uh, just to elaborate a little bit on the plot of Christmas Rush, uh, Dean Kane plays a police officer who basically gets suspended after um, – well, he accidentally wings, I guess, an important person in Chinatown or something in Chicago. Yeah, has like to... massive shootout. Like a bunch mm-hmm. of crooks open fire on the cops. 
The cops return fire. Six, eight, 12 people are dead. And, a, and an innocent bystander, an, an important old gentleman, is, is grazed across the cheek. Okay? And, and then uh, that's, that's what happens. Uh, it's, it's insipid. Sorry. <laughs> so, so he is suspended, and uh, during the 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 uh, Christmas holidays, oh, about the chief, the chief character is amazing. He has nothing better to do. He walks down the hospital hallway <laughs> and says, "I want your badge." And then at the end, he walks into after the big shootout and says, "Here's your badge back." That what a great chief that is. He comes to you. <laughs> well, they couldn't afford an office for him, unfortunately. Uh, so Dean Cain uh, ends up in a, a mall to uh, apologize to his wife after they get into a fight. His wife works in a jewelry counter at the mall. Uh, and when he's there, uh, the mall is robbed by Eric Roberts and his band of goons. Uh, Eric Roberts is made more sympathetic, significantly more sympathetic in this movie, because we realize that his son has leukemia, and he's trying to raise money for the medical bills for the uh, for the bone marrow transplant. Liam, we got to get Liam in here. Liam, can you describe to your listeners the <laughs> how the audience learned that Eric Roberts' son has leukemia? Yes, please. So they're at the concert, and he's talking to his wife with the son sitting there, and they're just having a loud, like an irrationally loud conversation at the concert. <laughs> I thought he was in remission. Well, he's not in remission! And then he looks around his, you know, is anyone listening to us right now? And I'm like, why are you talking? Uh, I, I mean, I don't, I, I, okay, I have a child, obviously. What a obviously. weird time and place for exposition. That's what I'm saying, like, I, you know, maybe I'm wrong, maybe this happens, but I wouldn't even want him to be there hearing us have this conversation, let alone like we're at the concert, everyone's in public at the concert, and I'm like, he's not in goddamn permission, Susie! Like, it's so weird. I yeah. will will say that knowing Dean Kane's political beliefs, having a central plot that kind of hinges on someone not having health care to allow their son to have uh, <laughs> a bone marrow transplant felt like, you know, Hey, that's like a lesson to the person who's starring in this movie, but I guess not one that took. In, 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 instead, the uh, the the power, I guess, of Christ that existed in his wife's necklace, that is what helped them defeat the baddies in the long run, if you really think about it. Don't you think, Liam? Yeah. Ugh. Now, Scott, you mentioned that there are some faith-based uh, overtones to this movie. Can you elaborate yeah. on those? Well, it's I mean, except for a handful of the henchmen, it's got a very nonviolent uh, a hook, you know, it's sure. It's, uh, except for the baddies who really deserve it, nobody, there's no really stakes here. Um, and that's fine because it was made for TBS and they sure. wanted to be a diehard knockoff and it would, they wanted to be PG at best for a TBS film in 2002. So I get it. That's why you soften it. Uh, but yeah, to, and I hope this doesn't just sound like, uh, some Jewish guy on the other team is bashing Christianity because <laughs> I'm certainly not. I'm knocking the very clunky, clumsy, and ham-fisted way this movie handles Christianity, which I, I think is very incongruous to the very generic and junky action plot. Which is fair enough. And and there is, it, especially because it ends with uh, Dean Cain saying grace around a table, it sometimes feels, and maybe it's just because it's 2017, and we're all probably a little more sensitive to these things now in <clears throat> this year uh, compared to many, but it it felt sometimes that it was clunkily being injected into the plot uh, oh, in a way that... and it happens in other it happens twice with other characters too there's one character at the end uh, or uh, one of the thugs says 
I'm a Kwanzaa guy, not a Christmas yeah, guy. That's and right. Then there's, a, there's a phone conversation early in the movie where he says, mm-hmm, okay, thank you. And you can hear the guy on the other end of the phone. And Dean Cain says, happy Hanukkah. And the other guy says, Merry Christmas. And I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. You were, you got a studio note that every holiday had to be mentioned at least once. Fair enough. But the, what's that? Sorry, I know. Moment. Sorry, sorry, Liam, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second because it plays into what Scott just said. The person he was talking to that he said Happy Hanukkah to was his lawyer, which I thought (laughs) – Oh, Jesus. I mean that's that's what they presented in the movie. Remember, there's also that moment where um, his wife is is in the room. No, that's what I was going to say. Okay, no, please. Okay, please do, Liam. She's she's, – I mean – you know, she's trying to distract everyone, and I get that. And so her, it's Christmas Eve, so she, her distraction is, what is the your, your best Christmas? And she gets to the uh, black character with a foreign-sounding name, and he, you know, what's your best Christmas? And he just looks so crestfallen, and he says, I'm Muslim. And she goes, okay. And then she <laughs> keeps going. Like, it's no, the no, most it, awkward moment ever. She goes, she goes to the next person who, like, yep. Santa, I think, or the old lady. And it's like, the okay. Could... That, there's a moment where you say, why don't you tell me about your religion or your faith right. or your <laughs> holiday? And she just she says, couldn't okay. possibly know a Muslim holiday. Like, no white American should ever be expected to know, like, what Ramadan is. Like, that would be a step too far. She just goes, Oh, you're one of those, and we'll just yeah. keep going. It's almost like you poor as a human, you poor guy. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but a... I mean, like you got to wonder if the scene me if the scene is her looking at a black person and or a Muslim man, uh, a black man who says I'm Muslim. Uh, I don't celebrate Christmas. Is the implication, and so... then she says okay and moves to the next person. Why is that in the movie? <laughs> yeah, right. Someone had to write that and make like, a point I... of it. Why is it? Why was that not cut? There's literally no point. Is it just the fact that we are acknowledging that Muslims don't celebrate Christmas? Oh, they're just acknowledging they... that they exist. Like, oh yes, there are also Muslims. I mean, to be fair, the Kwanzaa thing was also played for laughs, right? It's the Russian guy who's like, "I'm more of a Kwanzaa guy." And you're like, "Oh no, that's that's a funny joke. Good work with the joke, guys." So joke. one of the one of the more endearing moments of our Dean Kane character, he's supposed to be kind of a fun, you know, relaxed, he's a quippy type guy. And him and Eric Roberts meet in this movie. Apparently, Eric Roberts is a very well-known crook. And they meet at this recital that you were referring to earlier, Liam. And uh, immediately, Eric Roberts comes over and says, Merry Christmas. And Liam, what was Dean Kane's response to that? Oh, he says happy holidays, and then Eric Roberts. There's some like PC comment, right? Like, yeah. So, yeah. so what happens is, is, is Eric Roberts says Merry Christmas, and Dean Cain says, "Don't you can't say that because it's not politically correct." And uh, and then they have kind of a, a fun back and forth about about but you can't it, tell if the if the screenplay is either okay with that or that or or criticizing that. You can't really tell. It's hard to tell. I mean, I, I get the impression that it's criticizing it because Dean Cain is supposed to be in the right throughout the entire movie. So him commenting on it, I guess, is supposed to be – it's like, can't even say Merry Christmas anymore. I mean, he's just a, a sentence away from then, t- then, going on some rant about it, Starbucks. It's like a, an ex-cop and an ex-crook meet at a recital where their kids are singing Holiday Carol. Right. And then this Derek Roberts' dickbag partner comes up and says, get out of here. Go – Go hang with the thugs. Go, you, you know, like you don't get to hang with these cops. Get out of here, right? Brook. But of course, that's just a setup, as we discover a little later. Don't, wink. <laughs> don't spoil. Don't spoil it. 
think we're going to spoil in just a second. Dick Partner is loyal throughout. How dare you? <laughs> Before we get to the ending, I do want to say, ask both of you, were there any action sequences in the movie that particularly stuck out in either a positive or negative way? I'm going to start with you, Liam. Anything in terms of action that you actually enjoyed here? Uh, No. There are a lot of squibs, lots of squibs going off. Well, I, that's what I was going to say is we, we were mentioning all the diehard influences, but there's definitely a strong, like, John Woo, definitely. slow motion, mm-hmm. shotguns function as rocket launchers. Like, every time a shotgun shoots something, that thing has to actually explode. It can't just yeah. be, like, hit with pellets. It's like, boom! And I'm like, no, yeah, guys, I, I saw that movie, too. Um, and, and, and I almost... It, it was so much that I'm like picturing in my head one of the producers being like, "It's great. It's like a diehard thing, but then like we really borrow from John Woo, and you know, it's 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 really of the moment, you know." And even the unnecessary, the fact that like the um the scene, the the uh, conflict that gets Dean Kane's character in trouble, sure. you know, that it's in Chinatown, which you mm-hmm. know, uh, <laughs> that is a weird fight choice. scene. That opening fight scene where people just start flipping around out of nowhere and yeah. just doing like. Why does that guy kids? take his shirt off? What if <laughs> just fucking takes his shirt off in Chicago? It's like cold winter time. I mean, that's oh, yeah. the other thing, right? This is Christmas in Chicago, and I'm supposed to believe that a man removed his shirt so he could fight better outside. Fuck you. Come on. Scott, did any of the uh, action sequences appeal to you at all? Um, I, I would say that. Well, they are extensive. There's a, there's mm-hmm. a, a couple of brawls that go on for like a good reel. <laughs> uh, I, one that I found confusing is the one that ends with him uh, like grabbing onto the big ribbon and then he, he swings into the Christmas tree. And I'm not sure why it's considered a good thing for your action hero to end a, 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 a gunfight slash brawl with him swinging and falling onto his ass and getting buried by a Christmas tree. That's something that happens to a buffoon. That's yeah. not, that's not what your hero does. Um, <laughs> but, but I, that scene confused me because first it's a gun battle where I, I, it's so poorly edited. You have Dean Kane shooting, you know, left to right. You have Russian, Russian thug with the worst accent I've ever heard <laughs> shooting, shooting right to left. And, it, and that's literally all you're seeing. There's no things are just blowing up. I'm like, what, how could you possibly hit all those different lateral targets? If you have a handgun, you're shooting at a man. Uh, doesn't make any sense. Um, so you know, uh, but but what happens is he he disarms the thug. His his machine gun clatters down back to the the first floor, and he's about to go swinging on on the flag thing, and he shoots him dead. And he, yep. and then he crashes to the ground like a buffoon. But later, that henchman is back. He was not yes. killed, and he was, I was I was confused. Apparently he was not quite dead and just Maybe shows up. And, him, but I guess got, I don't know. I mean, I I was kind of expecting him to come back one more time at the very end to kind of you know reinforce that this is just a really hard guy to kill. But no, the second time he's just dead. But no, I was just as confused as you. The action scenes are are clunky and not well cut or choreographed. But to, in their defense, when they take place, there's no dialogue. Yes, that's true, and it does just focus on a lot of things exploding, like a uh, a plastic uh, snowman's head or a mannequin head just exploding. What do we What do we think about the henchman crew? There's there's the there's the guy from Jersey with the worst Russian accent I have ever heard, <laughs> ever ever. There's like a scene where he's yelling.
yelling at him across the mall. And I'm like, dude, you're from Trenton. What are you like? What, what <laughs> is that? I, uh, I'm going to go with the idea that some of the supporting henchmen were Canadian because this mall even though the movie is set in Chicago, uh, the mall is in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, so I'm going to go with a lot of Canadian extras in this movie. I, I was not particularly impressed by the henchmen. Uh, I, I guess the uh, the overweight henchman got off scot-free. He never got picked up at all. Nope. Yeah, nope. it's like they just yeah. forgot that part of the movie. They just forgot yeah, the it. editing. I think the editing room saved him. There was something there. Where the, You mean the guy in the van, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, what the hell happened to him? He's like, yeah, I'll meet you at the Corey. I'll meet you at the spot. He's like supposed to be their distraction, and they never ever cut back to him again. It's- I I will say in this movie's favor, I did enjoy the two henchmen. I guess they were cousins, where one of them was yeah. a bomb expert and the other was just kind of learning the trade. And he had yeah. he had his own catchphrase. He had flame on when he threw stuff. Look, I yeah, I know that's just a little thing. Those two guys. Oh well, I mean, they both die. I know the first guy dies early. Yeah, sure. they both die. They should have gotten their own movie. Those two guys are, are the are aside from Mr. Roberts, might be the MVP of the movie. So let's talk about before we talk about Eric Roberts. Let's talk about the ending of the movie. As you might suspect, listeners, uh, the young child who required a bone marrow transplant, he's going to be okay for reasons that are completely fucking ludicrous. Oh, dude! Because <laughs> when, when the chief shows up again to hand him back, I was like, "What? The chief was what? He was at dinner and got a phone call. Hey, Dean uh, Kane." Give him his badge back. And he's like, shit, I got to go. We're like, we got to get where. Uh, so they, they show up. They hand him back his badge. But what else do they hand him? They hand him a check. Now, <laughs> I, I'm a little. Liam, can you elaborate on why he received this check? <laughs> no. I, I, he says insurance. Is that yeah. what he says? So what Some is the payout for the insurance? I don't understand what that's about. How much is the check is the check for, Liam? Oh, I don't know. How much is the check for? Wasn't it something like, oh, boy, I'm going to get this wrong. Do you remember offhand, Scott? No, I I believe I I might have been half asleep at that moment, but I don't think they said. Was it just kind of like, hmm? They actually, there's a quick insert shot of the check itself. I thought it was something oh. like two, $200,000, but that's got to be ridiculous. It can't be that much. But I think it's right. something, I mean, it's a significant amount, and they just immediately give the entire check to uh, the mother of the child and I guess the widow of or ex-wife of Eric Roberts' character uh, and so to cover her medical bills because you have this doctor who's standing right there talking about how they found like a bone marrow ma- a match and they can continue the process. literally standing there with like a credit card machine waiting to... Exactly, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so they, they the way hand the check says Sorry? They, they hand the check over. It's what... They use X... Check. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Even the way the doctor says it is so dismissive. Like, there are financial concerns, officer. <laughs> like, it's it, even if there is a financial reason not to save a child's life, most humans at least oh, say it with a little less, like, fuck you. Like, they're a little more <laughs> like, she's so pissed. Like, how could you even question me? The real <laughs> issue here is that they don't have any fucking money. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's hilarious ending. I, I thought it was one of the highlights when they can't. I'm like, why is he get? It would have made more sense if the chief had said, "Oh, and by the way, you hit the lottery, and they dropped the check <laughs> off at work here." <laughs> here's your here's your Christmas bonus, Dean Kane. <laughs> uh, right. So, 
Uh, the, by the way, us saying that has probably given you, given away to you, the listener, that Eric Roberts does not make it to the final scenes of this movie. Uh, he is, however, in this movie a significant amount, which was very, very pleasant to see. We uh, sometimes, Scott, as you can probably imagine, we talk about movies that feature Eric Roberts for two minutes, sometimes less than that. You know uh, what? Yeah, this this podcast could be called Eric Roberts Tangent. <laughs> <laughs> that honestly, you know, this just be like. Hey, let's talk about ja- Galaxy Jackson for two minutes, uh, two hours, because he happened to be on his podcast. Yeah. and I mean that as a compliment. Like, no, no, believe me, that's this. This show is not about Eric Roberts. It's an opportunity to use Eric Roberts as an excuse to talk to interesting people about stuff that I want to talk about. But now we need to talk about Eric Roberts, who, by the way, he dies in this movie. The entire like final sequence is just a complete tribute to the third man which i was yeah. not expecting uh but it's, but, it's, it's shot so sloppily oh. and, and <laughs> like the way he is like he's shot so many times that you should not even be able to like stand up let alone hold himself i mean like you if you're gonna do it that way you shoot him once and you let the audience wonder how bad did it get him and then he's climbing and he's climbing and then he hits the top rung and you're like oh he starts to fade and the audience realizes oh they did get him that's too bad because he's kind of an anti-villain now, and I, I kind of like him. But they riddle him with bullets, and then he, to, <laughs> then he hops up a ladder. A ladder which goes right up to a uh, a manhole cover. It's not like he was going anywhere anyway. But, I mean, again, you would not – if you've seen The Third Man, it's not like this is a, uh, a nuanced, subtle reference to it. It basically just take the ending of that movie entirely and just kind of paste it into the last – Three quarters of this one. But let's talk about Eric Roberts, the actor, in a movie called Christmas Rush. I'm going to start with you, Liam. What did you think of Eric Roberts in this movie? Well, I hinted at it earlier, but I will reiterate that he is the most present, the most actually acting, the most character of characters in the movie. And not because, as we've mentioned when we cover Eric Roberts and other things, mm-hmm. he's not chewing the scenery. He's not doing an over-the-top, like, crazy Eric Roberts! He's just <laughs> the only one actually doing anything. And, you know, it would be easy to say, oh, that's because all the writing or whatever, whatever. But I, I don't think it's just that. I think he is actually delivering something that the other actors can't seem to. Now, again, I don't want to be too dismissive. It's not like everyone is as bad as Dean Cain, but um, <laughs> but I just think the, the exciting part, the interesting part of the movie is when Eric Roberts is on screen. And the rest of the movie, again, it's not the worst thing. It's, it's watchable, and there's parts that are, like, amusing, but really Eric Roberts was the highlight and the, and the delight of the movie. I think the choice to make him uh, uh, someone doing the wrong thing for the right reason really helps the movie. They could have made him a Hans Gruber character so easily, sure, and I right. don't. I, I I think that actually would have hurt this movie. But as is, keeping that level of sympathy and seeing how far he's willing to go over that edge, I actually, th- I, you know, I was kind of on board with his story, even if it is completely ludicrous, because I wanted to see where it was going to go. I was kind of hoping he might get away. <laughs> Which I guess is a testament to something about this movie. Scott, what did you think of Eric Roberts? Uh, yeah, I think he's got the most energy. I think that uh, Dean Cain is not nearly as charming as he thinks he is and should stop trying. Uh, I think Erica Eleniak has never been all that great of an emoter. And she's given just the worst stuff to do. <laughs> you know, if you, you let it, put a gun in her hand and let her just give it with a little attitude. 
I got no problem with Erica Eleniak, but in this one, she's just like, you know, doe-eyed mother figure who's going to take care of everyone and praise Jesus. And it's a, just a thankless, dull role. Um, and, and the henchmen, uh, are all fairly generic. Um, and, uh, Dick Partner is not a good actor. So, I mean, uh, by default, Eric Roberts is, you know, I mean, he couldn't be as dull as Dean Cain if he tried. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's a, that's a common theme on the show as well. Eric Roberts by default <laughs> is the right. best thing about this. But would you say that he's actually giving a strong performance here uh, or, if he, or is he just better it, than yeah. everyone else? I, all right. Well, I think the, uh, it's, a, you know, like you guys talked about, it's a, it's like a two a double-edged sword. Sure. The fact that it was made for TBS and, and he was made to be a soft villain m- maybe prevents him from, uh, overacting or, or biting some scenery, which I think the movie could have used a little bit of. I, mm-hmm. I, I think he gives a fine performance, but I think that the uh, the screenwriter and the director, who are the same uh, idiot, <laughs> just wanted this this villain to be a bit too sedate, and I that's fine. But I mean, if I'm if I'm writing this villain and then Eric Roberts is my my is is cast, uh, I'm rewriting a couple of scenes where he gets to be fucking you know, feral and angry or, or, you know, or upset or something where he gets to do something that Eric Roberts is good at and like, like let him roll for three takes and then pick one that's like unique or interesting because all you're making is a diehard knockoff. So like, what's your, what's your risk factor? Let, let the guy a little bit loose, but yeah, within the, within the constraints of a very generic screenplay, he seems to realize that, all right, they want me to play it relatively straight and, and evil, but not mega evil. And uh, I, I don't really get to chew any scenery. Fine. But even that is much better than the other actors in the movie. You know, so I, I think he's the saving grace of this movie. With, that, with, a, with a dull actor in the, as a villain, I would have not made it half hour. Right. Absolutely. That does bring us to the very uh, theme that, that this entire show is centered around. Is Eric Roberts the fucking man in the movie Christmas Rush from the year 2002? Starting with you, Scott, uh, since you just gave us your thoughts, is Eric Roberts the fucking man? Yes. Unquestionably, if anybody in this movie is the fucking man, it is Eric Roberts. It is not the writer-director. It is not Dean Cain. Uh, it is not the lovely Erica Eleniak. He is the, like I said, the saving grace of the movie. If you are a fan of Die Hard Knockoffs and or Eric Roberts, this is a kind of fun TV movie to dig up. The respected film critic and uh, podcaster Scott Weinberg says, fuck everyone else in 2002's Christmas Rush. Eric Roberts is the show here. Liam, do you agree with him? Is Eric Roberts the fucking man? Yeah, definitely. Well, don't 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 elaborate. I mean, I wouldn't want you to. That would be <laughs> ludicrous. Why would I ask you to do that? That's my favorite thing to do to you. No, no, we've already said that he he is the life of the movie, and um, I, I, again, he, he's not giving given a lot to do here, but I think he owns uh what he is given to do, and he has a performance that doesn't feel to me like a TV movie, whereas, um. I don't feel that way about some of the other performances. Oh, that's a good point. If you you could like 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 yank this performance out and put it in like a transporter movie, it's it fits. Yeah, like he's that he's a, you know it's an A level action movie performance in a C level action movie. I wonder what Dean Cain's daughter thought was going on while her two parents were missing for hours and hours and hours uh, while all this was going on. I guess and it doesn't really still- matter. 
there's like action scenes between two people that go on for like literally eight, nine minutes. And all your brain is thinking is, what are all the other characters doing right now? (laughs) Dean Kane is fighting a henchman, right? And I'm like, where during this eight minute battle, where is Eric Roberts in the mall? Where is he? I think I think it's a question worth asking and a question that would not possibly oh, be answered. I'm going off on another tangent <laughs> and wrap up. I'm sorry. I'm just going to confirm that Eric Roberts is the fucking man in 2002's Christmas Rush. Uh, this is not a movie I think is that is worth going out of your way to see. If you're a fan of diehard knockoffs, well, this one is very middle of the road, maybe even a little bit below that. But I'd also say that um, if you delve into a lot of direct-to-video or made-for-TV action-style movies... You could do a lot worse than Christmas Rush, but you can also do a lot better. Eric Roberts is the fucking man, but let's now take our final break. When we return, we're going to do some plugs, and we're going to say goodnight. It's Christmas. Baby, please come home. And that was Eric Roberts' The Fucking Man, episode number 64, where he had a look at 2002's Christmas Rush. I want to give a massive thank you to the great Scott Weinberg, who took a, a huge chunk of time out of his schedule. And I know you have a lot of movies to be watching this time of year, Scott. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Eric Roberts' is The Fucking Man. It was a joy, and I hope we can have you back again in the future. Where can people find you in the great wide world? Uh, on the World Wide Web, if you have access to the internet, you can find me on the Twitter at Scott E. Weinberg. And uh, I hate when people say the Twitter, so forgive me for that. Um, <laughs> also, my good old friend Drew McWeeny and I run a podcast called 80s All Over. And uh, uh, like this podcast, it is what we call high concept. And it is one episode covers a month of releases starting in January of 1980. And then we move forward. Uh, Drew and I are now up to September of 1982. And we cover uh, every film released in that month. And it's been a giant project. And the response has been great. And we're grateful for uh, every click, every listen, and every review. It's a wonderful podcast. We'll, of course, link that in the show notes as well. Scott, for for an individual episode of 80s All Over, on average, how many movies do you have to watch? Um, 15 to 20. Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but, you know, for example, like, uh, let's just use an example from a 70s film. If I, if the next episode had Animal House in it, I honestly do not need to watch Animal House again. Of course. To write the notes. And that holds true for a lot of films, you know. So, uh, But if it's been more than a few years, I want to at least watch the first hour so I can reacquaint myself. Um, you know, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it, it all depends. But, yeah, it's a, it's a work-intensive podcast. Drew and I... And our great producer, Bobby Roberts, we do, it's a lot of man hours, but we're really happy with the show. So, uh, you know, I mean, that's more than, that's like, that's what you should aim for, right? I mean, if you do a lot of work, you're fine. I'm fine doing a lot of work if the end product is good and the listeners uh, enjoy it. So, um, 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not, I, and also I'm not complaining. You know, it's like mm-hmm. that is a giant workload. If you look at how many films we're going to have to watch and rewatch for the length of this podcast, but it's like, that's a project I enjoy. This is not work. Right. Like I have to dig 10 ditches. <laughs> and people love it and again I know you get a lot of really positive feedback and that must be very gratifying and really reinforce the work that you're putting into it uh, oh, I want to yeah. I, yeah, I, I just, I just want to say that movie geeks are some of the most supportive people out there uh, there's something about people who embrace art and uh, people who, you know and if you're somebody who tweets more than five days uh, five times a day about movies you are a patron of the arts you are somebody who loves art um And, you know, when people who have only so many hours in a day uh, and there are hundreds of good movie related podcasts out there. Uh, So for people to take, you know, two hours out of their week to listen to ours, it's very flattering. And we uh, we really appreciate it. Scott, what year in the decade of the 1980s was the best for movies? What year in the 80s? Mm. Oh, gosh, gosh. You you know what? I'm going to have to table that question until we get to the end. Uh, 82 is special for a lot of reasons. 84 is very special. 87, 88. I mean, I'll come back to you. I'll come back to you in just a moment, Scott. I'm going to go over to you, Liam. Liam, you're a very busy person with your Cinepunks website. Uh, What's been going on there lately? Oh, we just uh, did an episode of Cinepunks where we talked about uh, two uh, Mike films, um, Blade of the Immortal and uh, The Happiness of the Categories. What did you think and of Blade of the Immortal, Liam? Yeah, the, the newly released. Give me a give me a thirty second review on Blade of the Immortal because yeah. I have it here. I haven't watched it yet. I've read the manga I, before. I really like it. I really liked it. I thought that it was hard to know how much of the pacing was Mike and how much of it was trying to condense. Uh, what is it? Thirty years of a manga yeah. into one movie. <laughs> so. Uh, if you go in expecting like this film is trying to cover a lot of plot in a short period of time, it kind of gives you that. And it boils down most of that plot to fights, which <laughs> I like. I like violence. So I appreciate that, that <laughs> that's what they did. But, uh, you know, the, I, I think there's a lot of characters who in the context of the film are boiled down to like their haircut or what kind of weapon they use. And uh, so that was a little jarring. But the movie was still so much fun and so weird and not what I expected that I really had a good time with it. Um, do I like um, it as much as Happiness of the Categories? No. Have you seen Yakuza Apocalypse, Liam? I have not seen it yet. It is on my to-watch list. I saw it at TIFF a few years ago. I didn't much care for it, to be totally honest with you. I think it was a little self-consciously weird for my taste. But I like a lot of Mike stuff. I like him. Uh, I, I like his... Um, the variety in his directorial output, for sure. You see Visitor Q, Liam? I have seen Visitor Q, yeah. What do you think of Visitor Q? Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I remember <laughs> finding it entirely weird and not being sure if I oh. liked it or not, but mm-hmm. kind of cool, yeah. All right, well, fair enough. Liam, uh, where I've can... always been weird about Ichi the Killer. That's a, that's one I've, I'm, I'm never can decide if I like it or not. I like it. Liam, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, cinepunks.com is probably the most obvious place and on Twitter uh, at Liam Rules R-U-L-Z uh, or they can follow Cinepunks at Cinepunks you can of course find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly that's T-I-L-L-E 
why. And you can find Eric Roberts is the fucking man at ericrobertsistheman.com. You can, uh, of course, uh, subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your bag might be. You can find Eric Roberts is the fucking man on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. You can also find there's an Eric Roberts is the man Facebook group if you do a search for that on Facebook. Or the links are all on the website as well. Going back to you, Scott, have you decided what is the finest filmic year of the 1980s? Uh, I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say 1981. 1981. Can you and, give us in a f- few small uh, points why that is? I can give it to you in five words. Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Sounds very, very good to me. Liam, would you agree? 1981, was that a very good year? I am not the, I just have to defer to Scott. I'm not the expert to be asking because, um, you know, I can pick movies I like, but if I'm going to take a year on, I'd have to like really think about the whole year. Well, you don't have to anymore. The answer is 1981, signed, sealed, and delivered. And now I want to thank you, the audience, for taking time out of your schedule to listen to Eric Roberts is the fucking man. We will be back in just another couple of weeks with two or one Eric Roberts classics. Good night, everybody. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can. 